Welcome, Scotty P here from The Grind Australia. I'm joined today with Deegs and together we're going to chat with uh, Brent Porcier and Robert Garcia from the Louisiana-based Top Velocity. You've had a few guys over there at your, in Louisiana and so forth, but we've got a very diverse range of, of, of coaching um, ideologies in this country and it ranges from those that have played the game a long time or have had some success, whether it's overseas or in colleges, and they tend to instruct and parents are quite happy to pay the money out on what they learnt and pass that down. And it ranges from that style of coaching through to the stuff that, that you know, based on the programs that you've built, for example, with the process-driven science-based programs, which are now starting to creep into the, the higher levels of, of, of what's going on in Australian baseball. Um, cool. Not so much in the ABL where, where uh, you know, the Perth Heat and that, there's a lot of sort of old school guys, Australian players, ex-major league guys that are, that have sort of had bringing their experiences back. So it's more at the grassroots level where the, the top yeah. knee type thing has taken off. Yeah. Same so, here. given a bit of a background there, I, I sort of wanted to start off, mate. Where, where did you actually come up with the concept in your mind to start a process of creating a product like Top Velocity? So I'm 44 years old. So in 1995, I tore my rotator cuff in my first college appearance. So when, when I tore my rotator cuff, doctors looked at me and they said, you know, you're wasting your time trying to get back to college baseball because it's such a serious injury. And at that time, you know, all they could do for you is give you some, you know, cans with weights in it and you do Job's routines. And they knew that that wasn't going to solve my, my serious problem. So they said, you're pretty much wasting your time. And, and when I started, when I decided, you know, I wasn't going to give up on it and I was going to really try to figure out what happened when I started looking for information, I mean, the only thing at the time was Nolan Ryan's pitching Bible was probably the only innovative thing or something that even looked somewhat out of the box because he was talking about weightlifting in it, which you had never heard of. But besides that, I mean, I mean, you had Tom Seaver had a book and, you know, there really, there really wasn't anything. Um, and you'd go to trainers and then you'd get the conventional wisdom of, um, you know, you're just, you got to get your arms stronger. Well, I couldn't even throw. So I'm like, well, a lot of arm strengthening to baseball was throwing and I can't even do that. And, uh, a lot of coaches and trainers just basically said, I can't help you. And so it was out of that pure frustration and that really relentless desire to live my dream and play professional baseball that I just obsessively searched for it. It's probably too, because I was dyslexic. So um, I already was struggling to find ways to learn in school. So I, I already had this like real thirst for information. I was having a hard time getting it. So being in this situation in baseball where there was nothing and I had this real thirst for knowledge, I just uh, you know, obsessively drove myself to find it. And, you know, I have to give it to Tom House. At the time, he was just on the cusp of really starting to come out and show the beginnings of biomechanics with also ASMI, American Sports Medicine Institute. So this was really at that cusp and, and it was a little late, but I started grabbing it after I, I, I just went around and tried everything I could with what conventional wisdom would do. I started to get, get wind of the new information starting to come out. So I was just lucky, unlucky, but then lucky that this happened to me at the perfect time. When you look at guys like Dr. Marshall, who developed, you know, Max Line, 
and his methodology, which is a little bit out, a little bit crazy in my mind. I mean, it's really out there. He was, you know, rookie of the year in the seventies and he tears his UCL before Tommy John does. And now his career's over when it happens to Tommy John a few years later and has a long career. I was just happened to be in a place where when I got hurt, it was just the beginning of this biomechanical revolution and the science of it. And I was the first guy riding the wave. And that's when the information just started coming and I couldn't grab it fast enough. I mean, if you look at the case studies on, on pitching development pre 2000, you can count them on your hand. You look at them post 2000, it's thousands and thousands of them all over the world. So I just rode that initial wave of this new age of science into baseball. And that's what's built. It built my career back to where I went and played indie ball and European professional baseball low to mid nineties when I was probably high eighties before. And I, and I got my career back. I got something back to enjoy and play and get to a professional level. And, and then I started to bring it into my, my methodology and coach it to players. And then it's grown to what it is today. Right. Um, along the way, You've added some qualifications to support your theories, I suppose. You'll see your USA Olympic lifting. What other sort of science and qualifications have you gone through to support what, what you're developing? Well, you know, I've read case studies for a good 13 years, and then I decided to say, look, man, I didn't do all this studying for no degree. So I'm finishing my master's in kinesiology. I got, I got two more classes right now. And my master's has been so easy because I already had all the research. So uh, I plan to finish that in March. I'll have my kinesiology master's and then I might actually consider a PhD, but um, I'm pretty happy with finishing the master's right now. You find that supports the programs that you've sort of developed from the theory side quite well? Yeah. You know, you, you think going into a master's when you didn't have that, that you would, things would change and it didn't, it just solidified because I, I took the right path in the very beginning. I took a scientific approach. I took a kinetic chain approach right from the beginning. So that it's just made the path, it's, it's helped me carve it even sharper as the more I've learned and the more case studies I've brought in. It's cause I, I, I put the, I got lucky, man. I put the right foundation in and you know, I don't, to be honest, I don't believe in luck. I think there was a reason here uh, I come from a long legacy of, of well-known coaches in my family. And I just knew this, this is what I'm good at. I'm, a, I'm probably was going to be a better coach than player. And I got lucky. I built the, the foundation correctly in the beginning. Fantastic. Um, along the way, you chose med balls to go around for a lot of your, of your drills and so forth. Pretty much everybody else has gone down the weighted ball path. And I guess when it all came out, there wasn't a lot of um, information available through ASMI, et cetera, in terms of um, the various different reporting or data they'd collected. What made you go down the med ball path instead of the weighted ball track? I, I'll tell you right now, if you're going to have a hard time finding anyone with a serious injury that has an have studied the science that it's going to take a weighted ball approach because it's not a pure kinetic chain approach. And there's now enough studies to show there's a risk of injury. So the, you know, that, that in itself, I think I intuitively coming from a rotator cuff injury saw the concepts of weighted balls, which I had already done in my younger years, you know, when, you know, rest in peace, Dick Mills promoted it. I, I picked it up 
and I'd already experienced it and it happened to be what I was doing when I tore my rotator cuff. So it's probably why I put that bad feeling in my blood every time I saw it. And I wanted nothing to do with it after that. I could just see it. I could just, I mean, it was just obvious the, 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 the kind of collateral damage that it could create. And, and now that I know, and, and, I, and I knew I needed to find an overload approach, but developing and in, in, in innovating and in, in inventing this med ball approach to me um, is, I believe it's really what's starting to help change the game because it's using an overload approach without putting torques into the arm, which is, it's like the, the, the holy grail of pitching training, to be honest. Yeah, how, how'd you sort of settle on the two pound med ball? We use one kilo balls here, which is the closest we've got to the two pounds. But how did you sort of settle on the two pound balls? Right, so four pounds was the first thing I used. Anything over four pounds, you couldn't even maintain a kinetic sequence. So I would, we grabbed four pounds. And, and the reason I went to the weight of ball, so I was a Nolan Ryan fan and I would study Nolan Ryan footage over and over and over again. And this is old Nolan Ryan footage, not early in his career at the end. And he would, he would just gather and everything looked so compact and he would keep it all together. And, you know, he's a big, strong, powerful guy. And I don't know why I got this impression. He looked like he was throwing bowling balls. I don't know that every time I think of Ryan, I thought he was throwing a bowling ball. So I was like, wonder if that'll help because I was this big, long, lanky arm slinging guy. And that's what tore my rotator cuff. So I needed something that really pulled me into my core, pulled me into my body. And when I picked up a weighted ball, cause that was what I closely get to um, a bowling ball. I felt it. And I was like, that's it. That's what I wanted. And then what happened over time, I took the Olympic approach, which, you know, I'm a big Olympic advocate for baseball and, in Olympic lifting, we use variations. We, we break up segments of the full kinetic chain movement of say a clean and jerk or a snatch. And I wanted to do the same thing for the complex movement of pitching. I wanted to create variations. I wanted to create segments so I could better understand where I need to be in each segment so I could start to optimize the kinetic chain. And then those just two went together perfectly. And what that two pound med ball does is it, it, pulls the arm into the trunk it pulls everything in and it, it makes everything engage and work together when you're allowing that weight in a weighted ball approach that arm can lag and separate and get ahead and push and drag all the horrible things that the studies show blow the arm out the actual weighted ball can exaggerate it so i was like that's why we need this weighted ball or this medicine ball approach is because it's two-handed it forces everything to connect and engage and work together. And then the first thing you notice is you're not putting all the torques on your arm and you're using the kinetic chain better to create the power and the energy. And then when I learned the segments and I created the chest up, shoulders closed system and it, and it allowed me to coach biomechanics, man, it, it, it became a methodology that I knew would change, change the game. Yeah, you just mentioned you're being a big advocate for Olympic lifting. How do you think that impacts um, for youth pitcher development? Well, you know, I grew up when they were like, weightlifting is the worst thing you can do. It injures you, it's gonna make you slow. It's like, it literally the worst thing you're gonna do. And then I blow my arm out. And then I go to a famous strength coach, uh, Kurt Hester, who um, coached a lot of well-known, more football guys. And he said, Brent, I'm gonna make you the biggest, strongest, fastest guy in the field. And I start doing this Olympic approach. I'm the biggest, strongest, fastest guy on the field. And all of a sudden I can throw again. And then I'm like, well, what's going on here? This, this is weird. I start studying it and I find out that Olympic lifting is, is enhancing uh, the kinetic chain. 
it's forcing the central ner nervous system to upgrade sequencing of the kinetic chain to maximize power. And then when I started getting around the Olympic lifters, there were these highly mobile little bitty power machines that could, that could control their bodies and play any skill they wanted to play. And I was like, oh my God, this is the ideal, um, you know, performance enhancement for any athlete, specifically something as complex as pitching, because it's giving everything I want, mobility, kinetic sequencing, power. And once I saw that, man, and I had already experienced it, I feel like once again, coincidentally, um, I just dove into it and really brought more science out of it so people could understand it. Well, um, over here, the sort of, you probably see the programs that, that we post and stuff that we do, that we build everything on your program. We are getting a lot more female athletes involved in the process. And, and I've had various different results based on, uh, I, I suppose, their physical capabilities. Do you find uh, or do you do much with female athletes over there? And you're finding any difference in, in the methodology you have to go around to train them? Um, I haven't had a lot of experience with them. I've worked with some. I have my own daughters, but they're, they're young. Um, you know, the experience I have is just like all athletes. I don't think, you know, I've looked at like, you know, obviously when I just posted a study on sex between pitch softball pitchers to baseball pitchers, it showed baseball or pitchers males actually used more, uh, a better ratio of horizontal ground forces to vertical ground forces. So in the actual skill and the difference between a fast pitch softball and a pitching a baseball throwing a pitch in a baseball is you actually have to apply better use of the, your horizontal to vertical forces. And then fast pitch, you just can use a lot of vertical forces. And it also showed the men were creating more. Well, I wouldn't say weren't creating more of those forces. They're better using a combination of those forces. So they're more well-rounded. So, I, you know, and, and there has been studies in the, in the past showing, you know, if we look, even if we look at Olympic lifting, women are not as superior as far as strength and power, uh, in, in their lifts, but they're still very extremely impressive. They're especially women Olympic lifters could blow away baseball players, specifically low-level baseball players, with their athleticism. But the point is, I I, I wouldn't I don't see them any different. I, I think we can put them all in a group. Um, I think if you're dealing with women on average, they're probably in a definitely in an area where they need more strength. Uh, they need more power. I think if most important women can really use power, because if you look at all the studies with their knees and ACL and MCL damages, women have a lot more of them than men. It's more than likely because their muscles don't fire quick enough. And something like blowing out a ligament in a knee is probably purely related to the, the, the velocity of the injury or the, the forces hitting the joint and the muscles not being able to activate quick enough. So to be honest, I, if I'm with women, I'm really emphasizing strength and power um, excessively. Um, I think they're going to probably perform very well, actually, with mobility because of that joint laxity, which means they need a little bit more strength and power. That's, that's the only thing I would find would be really necessary. Yeah, we're seeing some pretty good results, particularly the younger ones. There's a, a young girl, Lila Hall. She's a 12-year-old. Um, she's looking terrific. Her, her body movement patterns, the use of the kinetic chain, they, they really... They really are good. And for a 12-year-old, by the time she adds that strength and the power, she gets to 15, 16, 17. She should be uh, quite the quite the player, I think, relative to everything that's going on around her. No, I think um, you're right. I think you can make – you can 
with women, the more that they apply this formula, they, they can compete in men's sports. I mean, men will have an advantage in the averages, but you could definitely have a woman who's not in the averages, above the averages, and a man who's below the averages. And the woman has, will have an advantage if she's doing this kind of work. So I am excited with what it can do with women's sports and also women's abilities to maybe even compete in men's sports. Yeah. I'm going to uh, introduce you to Deegs. Um, Brent, Deegs is uh, an 18-year-old. I'm at the other end of the scale. And I, I wanted to get Deegs on here because yeah. his viewpoint of the world is a little bit different to mine, uh, the way they use science and technology, the different coaching they've been exposed to. So Deegs in the last three years has been um, in the elite Queensland Elite Junior Program as a left-handed pitcher. He's had quite a bit of success. So I'm going to hand you over to Deegs for a few few, few questions from Deegs about how yeah. he views the world and, and sees programs such as Top V. How's it going, Deegs? I'm good. Um, I just want to thank you for all the information you've put out. I've been like watching all your stuff since I was 13 and it's just helped me out oh. so much. So I just want to thank you for that. Hey, it's exciting, man. So, what's your your best source for putting information online? Like, how do you? What's your best way for interacting with players like myself? Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can get in my DMs and my Instagram and Twitter. I guess everybody comes through Instagram or Snapchat. Um, also, when guys come into my programming, you know. I pretty much give access through my phone. You can text me. Um, so I'll do my best to, to help. I think the challenge for us is, especially with our performance centers, is top velocity is growing all over the world right now. We, I got Robert Garcia here who's taking it to Mexico, and he's representing top velocity in Latino America, and we're translating it all into Spanish. Uh, and then we want to go into Japanese, and we're really excited. We're in Australia. So – I think it's going to be harder to get access to me, man. But I'll tell you, if uh, if you can get on my radar, I'm I'm there to help. I'll do whatever I can. Wait. Um, at what age do you think athletes should start like specializing in baseball, or should they just play other sports? Or what's the go with that? Uh, look, the best thing about this program is that if you Brent laid down this program that if you follow step by step, you will have success. Like this program will teach you to be your own coach. And as you uh, following the program correctly, you will have results. So actually you don't need like that much feedback from Brent if you do it correctly and you understand the process and was, what does the program is about. So. Yeah, I mean, that's our goal, man. It's, it's knowledge is power and this game is poorly educated. And because of the, the, the new age and all the science and the technology that we have now, uh, th we're seeing a huge transformation in baseball where velocities are going up, where the competition level is going through the roof because, you know, all types of, of body types are having success now in the game because the science is showing them how to do it. And I think I know the more you study this system, the more you study the evaluation process that you're going through is, is every two weeks, if you can, the more you study the, our mechanical system, the more you study the science that we've dug up behind it, the more you study our video analysis, you're, you're going to learn it better and then you're going to apply it better and then you're going to see better results. I think the key for you is to try to do what 
what I'm doing and what Robert's doing. And, and don't look to me like you need me. Look to me like I'm just going to be, I'm going to learn this as much as Brent has learned it. Once I get to his level, I'm going to be able to not only help myself, but I'll be able to help a lot of people. Because in the, the day, I'm just the messenger who's discovered the information and I'm just trying to get it to you and help you learn it and apply it. And Brent said it, like he nailed it. Once you have that knowledge, you are going to become your own coach. And that's really important because now you ain't going to be in this frustration process where you don't know how to make adjustments. Now you have the knowledge, you know how the biomechanics works, you know how to deal with that. And then it's all about grinding and time. That's yeah, it. and your current coach is with you. They're there to support you in that learning process. So you should be working with them to learn and learn and learn and use me if, if you're just stuck. If you're just stuck on something, that's where I'm going to help you best. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think athletes my age and even younger than me still use weighted balls? I just, with all the information out there, I just don't see why people still use it. I just want to, why do because, you Because there's a lot of people don't understand they, everybody has different reasons for playing baseball. A lot of people play baseball because it's a social thing to do. It's a trendy thing to do, or a lot of their buddies are doing it, or they see the, the riches or the, the ones having success at the top. And, and they think, well, that's what I want to achieve. I want to have that same image and status. And I want to have that money. And those are the people, if that's their purpose, it doesn't matter how they get there. It's just that they get there. So if something is a quicker road, even though with higher risk, they'll take that sacrifice because they're just in it for the, to make, uh, you know, to, to uh, get the quick success or, or get the, the little social status out of it. The one that are actually looking at, at it as an, an actual achievement, an actual path that brings them honor in life, that actually elevates their spirit, that actually gives them purpose and gives them a, a foundation to, to build the rest of their life on, those people are wanting to learn and understand. And then those are the ones that typically, they'll listen to the weighted ball and from, uh, you know, methods, but they'll eventually make a better choice as they continue to learn and understand how the whole, whole thing works better. So I just believe those are just those that are doing it for the wrong reason. They're in baseball for the wrong reason and therefore they're making the wrong choices. And that's when top velocity separates from other programs because top velocity is uh, have a foundation with science. And once you have that knowledge we're talking about, you will know that uh, having a weighted ball approach is the wrong approach. But why is a wrong approach? Because he's teaching you to accelerate the arm, which study shows that the lead pitchers have a, a less acceleration arm because they know how to use their body. And that's why we use med ball throws to teach you how to use your whole body. So that's why you need to study, know the science, so you take your own personal uh, opinions and ideas based on science, not in, in what people tell you to do. And then from there, you will have the, the, a clear idea of what is good or what is wrong to do. Sweet, thank you. Yeah. All right, Brent, I've got about four four topics, like a fast and furious four topics that are, yeah. you know, kind of traditional 
um, understanding here and it, it'll it always creates a pretty sort of robust discussion when you bring it up with different people depending on their experiences and what they've done the first one is year-round throwing what's your view on that four pitches um i think year-round throwing it just depends like if you're year-round pitching competitive pitching i think you're going to fall into problems asmi american sports medicine institute did many studies on this and they basically came up that if you throw eight months out of the year more than eight months out of the year you're five times more likely to have injury we also see all the studies the more you throw your injury rates go up um so yeah if, if you throw fatigued you're 36 times more likely to have injury so unfortunately throwing in extreme is dangerous so you do have to be careful throwing all year round now if you're going to pitch competitively six months and then you're going to do slight low stress drill work for the the other six i think you'll be safe you know it's just being in that comp competitive throwing for more than eight months i I know is going to put you at a high, extremely higher risk of injury. Yeah, but the, the next one that really gets people going is, is so much, um, I suppose, diversity and opinions on long toss. And we've got coaches here that, that live and die by it. And we've, uh, you've had some podcasts or some um, YouTube stuff you've posted on the positive and negatives of long toss. So where do you sit with that, with long toss? Yeah, I mean, it it's comes from the beginning of the game. And you got to remember the pitcher, the the type of athlete that the game promoted when it came to the pitcher in the beginning of the game was extremely different than who he is today. In the beginning of the game, the pitcher was there to start the, the each uh, the, start the game and, and, and activate each play. And it didn't really matter how hard they were throwing. They just wanted to put the ball in play. Then the pitcher became uh, someone who had a competitive edge. But still, it was this aerobic athlete that would throw nine innings, ideally, the whole game. Um, and and at how long you could go and how competitive you could be was the name of the game for the pitcher. Like I said, that's more of an aerobic athlete. Nine innings, a three, four-hour game is a lot of reps that you more are going through and, and, and creating a lot of aerobic energy to create that. that that's usually not explosive uh, that's not an explosive metabolism. What happened in the 80s and 90s is the game started to change and then it really set in in 2000 where the starting pitcher, they found with the statistics that after the fifth inning, starting uh, pitchers were, you know, they lost their effectiveness. So they started pulling them at the fifth or sixth inning because they had thrown their best pitches. Now you're shortening the amount of pitches the starting pitcher is throwing. What that created was then a middle relief pitcher that would come in on average of one to two innings. And then that followed a closing pitcher that would come in on average one inning. And because those pitchers were one to two innings, you know, 30, 40 pitches, 15 on the low end, they could come in as more explosive athletes, more anaerobic athletes, and they could come in with firepower. And, they, and then the game became, the pitching skill became more of a power pitching component. And then the velocity started to take off. So if you see where we are today with these, every team has a hundred mile an hour arm at the big league level. And you go back to the beginning of the game when, when long toss began, when that was literally the complete opposite of what a pitcher was supposed to be, you can see that, that that old training should be pushed back with the old players. It has no, it's no longer effective 
for the type of athletes we now have on the mound today based on the workloads we're putting on them. And therefore, just like sprinters, we're not going to, it'd be devastating to take a hundred meter sprinters or, or short distance sprinters and make them run four or five miles. It would be devastating to their performance, just like it's devastating to pitchers performances. Yeah. You can take some elite athletes and put them through that and they still survive, but it's definitely not a smart uh, training modality to support the power pitching skill that we have uh, developed in today's game. And throwing some science, we have studies that shows that passing 150 feet, right? You start changing your mechanics, you start creating more external rotation, putting more stress in the arm. So uh, you're cleaning your mechanics and creating the, uh, good habits and then you want to go long toss. So you're putting your body, you're confusing your body. So. Yeah, I mean, the, he's talking about the ASMI study that found that the, the mechanics at, at maximum distance were nothing like the mechanics on the mound. You were using completely different mechanics. So that's like taking a, a hitter and telling him we're going to play home run derby every day. We already know what the home run derby does to a hitter midseason in Major League Baseball. It ruins them. And the reason it ruins them is because it's a different swing. It changes their swing. And that's what extreme long toss can do to a pitcher. It can constantly confuse their sequencing, their kinetic chain by delivering or using a different set of mechanics to train at a max distance than as you're using on the mound. Is there a correlation between, um, I'm talking about a pitcher doing their warm up on game day here. Is there a correlation with, with long toss, extreme long toss throwing? And we've got a number of young players that believe in long toss. They'll go out and throw 250 feet before a game. Um, is there a correlation between the energy they'd use up and their effectiveness to last to go deeper in a game there? I mean, you are exerting um, more energy at that distance. Um, to me, your ability to buffer anaerobic power is going to come from training in more anaerobic, um, you know, high-intensity methods. So like your speed and agility work, your strength and conditioning work should prepare you for uh, the rigors of the season in the game. Um, you know, if, if we're going to talk about, and that's the one thing with baseball, if you're going to talk about conditioning an athlete, we need to do that more in a strength and conditioning environment than in a pitching or pitching, you know, that, that's not the job of a pitching coach. It should be more of the job of a, of a strength coach. Um, if we're going to talk about biomechanics, we can deliver that off to the pitching coach, but I definitely wouldn't want to be using long toss to condition a player for a game because it's more effective if we do it in the modalities of strength and conditioning. And I believe like the long toss, it comes from the conventional wisdom or the old school that they think because they are going to long toss, they are going to strengthen their arm. And that, that's not true. We have studied proven that pitcher has a weakness shoulder than an average person. That's showing you that throwing doesn't strengthen your arm. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one other one in, in that little section, I suppose we still have um, here a, a belief that pitchers get out and run and run and run versus sort of anaerobic uh, sprint work, for example. Right. And it, it, just, it goes along the lines of the, these old conventional ways were delivered before all the new science and this big boom and strength and conditioning for elite athletes. 
So we need to adapt and move forward and, and work with experts that understand the science. Unfortunately, a lot of the organizations that are applying these old methods that don't aren't compatible with the new age and new level of science and information are coaches that don't have uh, education in kinesiology or in exercise science. You know, a lot of these coaches that want you to long toss, want you to wrong, run long distance, which is basically doing things contraindicative of what an explosive high velocity athlete should be doing. These are coaches that have maybe degrees in business or <laughs> education or communication. They're not experts in the, the sci exercise sciences and kinesiology. So unfortunately, we're just, we still are getting a lot of bad information from unfortunately people that aren't really qualified to make these decisions or make, to establish this programming for athletes. And that's, that's another thing. The same thing is with conventional I will run. Every time I do clinics, I have the same questions because uh, it's been a long baseball for a long time, long toss, running long distance. And like Brent says, as a pitcher, as an athlete, we want to be strong, fast. We jump, we run, we throw. Everything we do is in a short period of time, like Olympic lifting. That's why Olympic lifting is the best method to train as an athlete because that's how we want to be. We want to be strong and we want to be fast. Why you are going to train in a method that is not creating the athlete you want to be. So that's why those methods are not affecting in our sport. Um, band work. So pre-warm-up pre routines, etc. cetera, with, with bands. We actually see a lot of the same band strength, same exercises week in, week out. Are they effective? Um, should there be a progression in those, um, depending on the, whether it's pre-season, off-season, in-season? Any type of warm-up is good. The problem is bands aren't enough to strengthen the arm. The forces that hit the arm at a high-velocity level, when the arm lays back, we've seen studies show up to 60 pounds of force is pulling the arm back at high velocities. We also have a study that showed when you release the pitch at high velocities, up to 140% of your body weight is pulling your arm out of socket or creating distraction forces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, we're, we're upper 200s, you know, and how much force is being applied on your arm when you release the pitch. Let's say it's almost a 300 pound man is on your arm. A 15, 20 pound tubing is not going to build the strength in our shoulders and our arms and our upper bodies to be able to handle the forces we're trying to deliver at high velocities. It's unfortunate because it's why the harder we throw, the more injured we get. It's because if, if we really want to build 110, 115 mile an hour pitchers, we have to not only develop better kinetic chains, better explosive, highly mobile athletes, but we're going to have to build stronger upper body athletes than just what we're doing with tubing and not really allowing kids to go overhead with a lot of weight even though there's a ton of forces overhead when we actually perform the skill. Yeah, that's why overhead will be the best answer to strength the upper body and so to have the strength on the shoulder to handle those forces Brent's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, Brent, you've had a few guys that we're familiar with over here, Declan Stevens and, and Macca Pearson at your facility over there in Louisiana. I was speaking to Macca the other day, he, he loved his time there. Do you see any difference between Australian pitchers that are, or athletes that are coming over there versus their counterparts in the U.S. or other parts of the world? 
You know, I've had a, I've had about six or seven Australians here, which has been great. Um, my dad used to live in Australia during the uh, 70s or during Vietnam. So I heard a lot of great stories of um, Perth back in the day when it was a no man's land. But so I love Australian athletes, um, great competitors. Um, the ones I've had have been, you know, a mixed range of athletes. Um, Mac and, and Declan were on the on the better end. Um, I think the the one that's made the most impressive gains was Declan, and um, Declan had a great frame. He also had a great mentality uh, to really open up to this unconventional wisdom and 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 get out of the box and challenge his body and 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 try to see what his body was capable of. And he saw some impressive results. Um, but you know, I I see all athletes. Um, very much the same. I, I think, of course, different cultures, different um, countries, you know, they, they have some different body types. But um, it, at the end of the day, I mean, once we learn the science and once everybody understands how they stack up against uh, or what they need to do to be an optim optimized kinetic chain, um, you can you can turn any race any culture into a great thrower. I think Tom House said it best. He said, if we go back like 10, 20 generations, you're gonna, in your own bloodline, you're gonna find a thrower in your ancestry, right? Because that's how they were killing animals. So it's not too, it shouldn't be foreign to most people. Yeah. So um, when I was talking to Macker about it, he uh, went through a day, what a day was like working out of your facility. Do you wanna run through you know, from the time they get up to the time they go to sleep, what, what um, someone would experience? Yeah, and our typical, say, I'll give you a, a short training day, would be getting up, hitting our nutritional plans that we've laid out to you in our supplementation, um, going over some, well, before we go into mobility, I like guys that want to come in and look at film and talk about their mechanics on the previous day or previous week going into their mobility, addressing all their joint ranges, their stiffness, their soreness. If, they, if they're banged up a little bit, they'll come in and talk to us. We'll maybe go, maybe go over, you know, customizing their training to take some stress off of something. Uh, then if it's a short day, there'll probably just be a lifting day. They'll get their lifts in. They'll probably film some of their complex uh, lifts and they'll sit down with me for analysis. And then uh, they'll maybe go in and do some extra reps on something they feel like they could have gotten better at. Um, and then they'll head home. Uh, and that might be a two, three hour day. The long days, like the Fridays could be uh, same thing, but you come in, you do your throwing, same thing. You want to sit down and go over your throwing mechanics. You filmed a lot of your sessions. Uh, you want to break down biomechanics and then you want to go in and do some extra dry work to work on some issues. Then you go break for a lunch, come back, chill out, recoup, hit, hit a good lift. Same thing. Go over some of your lifts, make sure everything you were getting better. If not, address some of those issues and extra drills or lifts. And then take another break, come into anaerobics, do some conditioning, plyos. Once again, anything, maybe we customize some stuff because say their, their lateral speed is really not getting better and we, we overemphasize, overload some lateral movements and work on that. Maybe after that, they do a cool down mobility routine for a long day. They go hit up their, their super shakes. They head home to finish up their dinner and have some good nutrition before they go to bed early. I think 
you know, that's, that's the way we look at it. And, and we're trying to do that with all levels of athletes, high school, college, and professional. Um, if, if we really are going to get them to their, their optimal uh, self, you know. And we got to emphasize that they got to go to bed and sleep at least eight hours. Because if they don't sleep eight hours, they, they, are, gonna make it. they are not going to make it. I'd imagine after a day of all that stuff, they'd have no trouble sleeping eight hours. It shouldn't take much. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, sort of getting toward the end a little bit now. So if we had athletes over here that, that's, you know, and we've got plenty of serious athletes that want to go to college and so forth, and, and I know there's a fair bit of interest in, in going over to programs in the U.S. And then how would they find you, Brent? How do they get hold of information? How can they research you and make a decision? Well, I mean, I'd like to encourage them to go through you guys um, and you guys can, we can all sit down and maybe do a conference call together. Um, but, you know, they can find me anywhere on social media at Top Velocity. And uh, we'd love to help those guys. You know, I think one thing that's really powerful with Top Velocity now is we have over a quarter million of followers in our social networks. And we're really great recruiters because of it now. Like we had um, Garrett DeClue's video just get on SportsCenter today. Um, that video has been seen over 10 million times from him throwing in my facility. Uh, we've had many guys. We had Eric Orsi this year. We, he beat cancer, got only four games pitched in college before COVID hit. And then we, post all, we posted all of his progress. He went from 88 to 96 with velocity. We put up all his pitch data. We showed all of his metrics, his verts, his, his jumps, his sprints. And we kept posting that. And he was, by the end, before the draft, he was on every team's draft board, and he got drafted in the fifth round by the Mets um, after four games in college. And that's just the power of social media, and that's the power of what we can do. And we've had a lot of guys go into D1 colleges the same way. So, I mean, if, we, if there's any of you guys you want to send, any Aussies that want to come here, we're going to position you guys through this training to get the most exposure you can get. And at that point, you're just, it's just a phone call away from you getting an opportunity to play here in America. You know, you come in here and you start popping 95s and we put up your pitch data and you just email that out to every coach uh, in the country you want to play for, I guarantee you, you're going to have a lot of people calling you. And you have some relationships with college as well over there, do you? I do, man. But to be honest, I don't need it. I don't need to talk to these schools. I just have to get you to the level that they want. Once I get you to that level, I just put you out there and I talk about you and I promote you and you will be blown away by how many calls you'll get. Yeah, it's like every dad that come here, they are like, oh, we need to put our kid in every showcase. No, you don't need that. You, you need first to get your kid in, in the best position he can be. Now then you present it to everybody. And once your kid is where he's supposed to be, like scouts with college and scouts, are coming to you, not you going to them. Yeah, there's a, there's a big thing for college push for, you know, our kids here once they get 17 to, to head over and go to colleges over there. Um, we probably well, I think I think that's something that you you and I need to work on. I think we can help a lot of Aussies do that. I don't think it's that hard. It's just getting them over here, getting them training at top velocity, and us promoting them to every college we can. Do you ever get any um, failures? Get any what? Failures. People like probably now I've had about 40 or 50 kids that I've worked with from, and they range from 10 year olds up to 21, 22 year olds. And not one of them has failed to achieve 
um, Oh, you're talking about failures. Okay. Well, yeah, 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 a positive yeah. outcome. Uh, there are some, some, yeah. some people have different physical capabilities well, look, and limitations, and, but outside of that, everybody that's done it has been able to achieve a certain amount of success through it, particularly um, from, from an injury standpoint where they were sore and hurt all the time before. They no longer are. Well, here's the thing. I think if you're looking for something that's going to win across the board, it's going to be injury prevention. You're, you're rarely ever going to have an injury. That, that's the biggest win. As far as anything that has a high probability, the high probabilities usually are, you know, 60%, 75%. Uh, getting into the 100% is, is, un, is unheard of. Now, the reason you have failures is because those are harder cases. And when you have harder cases, you have to be more um, informed on what, what their problems are. And that, that requires more education on your end and better understanding of, of their evaluations. Um, and then teaching them and informing them that there's way more work involved for them than the average person. So do they still wanna stay here and put in all this extra work to get the average result? So that, that's the failures. I can help the failures, but a lot of them don't want the help if it comes at such a high uh, work workload. And that's unfortunately what a lot of those, the failures are up against. They're just up against a mountain of work. What time frame would you say, if you have to put it on, that you can start seeing results, like just an average time frame? So, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, we just yeah. had a guy go from 80 to 90 in six days. And then that was crazy, I've, yeah. had a, I've had a guy go 80 to 90 in two years, you know, it, everybody's different. And what it comes down to is the evaluation process. The evaluation process we go through is everything. It, to me, it's telling you everything. So you got to understand it's impossible for someone and they're selling you a bill of goods. If they're telling you this, it's impossible for someone to tell you how long something takes that, that you're asking, you're asking me to predict the future. That's really impossible. And unless I can time travel, right? I can, I can give you an idea or an, a guesstimation what I think could happen. But at the end of the day, if I have a full evaluation of you, if I know how your body mobilizes every joint, if I know how fast or quickly your body can activate power and at what level it can activate power over your body weight, if I can understand how well you can stabilize these highly mobile positions, if I can understand how well you can control the sequence of movements through your body, if I can understand how well you understand these core principles of elite biomechanics of pitching, if I have a good understanding of that, and that's my evaluations that I take guys through, then I can more t like, likely tell you what you're up against. And then I can more likely try to predict the future. And if I see, man, you have mountains of, to climb in all these categories, it's going to be hard for me to say it's going to be anytime soon. And more likely it's not. But the thing is, is to sit there and just think this is smoke and mirrors. And then it's just enough to follow through. It's not how it works. You know, we only have one chance to do this. And if you want to do it right, you have to really understand the evaluation process because that's how you're, that's how you discover your obstacles, your restrictions that are preventing you from being an elite thrower. And once you realize what it's going to take to force your body to adapt out of those restrictions, then that's when you'll start to get a clear view of what you're up against to reach your goals. And if you, until you get there, you're just guessing and you're hoping it works out. And on some guys it does, 
but once again, they might not be able to maintain it when they things change their body it gets injured and all of a sudden they fall out of those elite ranges. And now they're, they're like, well, how do I get back? You really got to understand why you are, you where you are and why an elite guy is where he is and what separates you. And that's only in an evaluation, like the ones we do with the top velocity. That wraps up today's podcast. But before we go, I want to finish on this between the science and technology and individuals such as Brent and their innovation, They've come up with a better way of doing things in the world of baseball. Not only addressing performance, but also the health of the athlete and serious injury prevention. To us, it makes a lot of sense. It's just a better way of doing things. And that was the reason that we created the Grind Australia about three years ago. If you're interested in seeing a little bit more about what we do, you can check us out on our website at www.thegrindaustralia.com.au. You might like to follow some of the athletes uh, in our program, and you can do that via our Instagram page at The Grind Australia. Anyway, a big thanks to Brent and Robert for joining us today. Big thanks to my helper here, Diggs, and uh, thank you for listening.